0: The inevitable appearance of Darth Vader will always happen.
1: Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This episode is sponsored by Component 1, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to witchmo.com and check them out. This episode is sponsored by Peer60 Incorporated. Peer60 Incorporated knows that the best JavaScript developers hone their skills by listening to JavaScript Jabber podcast. If you're looking for a front-end or full-stack development opportunity helping Fortune 100 companies understand their customers' better, email jobs at peer60.com. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 99 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we
2: have Aaron Frost. Hello. James Nance. Hi, friends. AJ O'Neill. Yo, coming at you live from the place where Google Fiber is, Provo.
1: Merrick Christensen. Hey, guys. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. We also have a few guests with us. We have Isaac Schluter. Hello. Laurie Voss. Hi. And Rod Boothby. Hello. So the reason we have this crowd here is that there is some rumor going around that NPM incorporated.
3: That is correct. We did incorporate. We're a legit company now.
1: Yeah. And you raised a bunch of venture funding, venture money. Uh, A little bit. Yeah. Not a huge
3: round as big startup venture funding rounds go, but uh, enough to do some really interesting stuff over the next year or two.
1: Cool. I've heard a lot of people saying all kinds of things about what this means for NPM and Node. Do you guys want to just briefly talk about what you plan to do with the money or the company and kind of the direction that you're heading in now?
3: Sure. I'll speak to that. I mean, the main thing we get with this money, uh, the main thing that we're spending it on is infrastructure, infrastructure for the uh, NPM registry and website and assorted services, and also hiring people to work on those things full-time and and make them better. Also, our our long-term goal is not just to keep raising money, but to actually produce revenue. And so we're we're doing that by creating new products and services for companies that need them, companies that have been literally demanding and begging that we figure out some way to take their money in order to uh, give them additional services on top of NPM. Oh, so what sense. kind of services yeah you guys have like a
4: documented list of those services or can you talk about them
3: I'm not a big fan of vaporware. Um, it's gotten me in trouble in the past to make promises about what we would deliver before we actually have a thing that we can deliver. but that being said, I mean the the first item that we're focused on is uh, figuring out a way to do hosted private modules and you know a way to make it so that you can have a high degree of convenience in hosting private modules without having to host your a whole replica of the entire npm registry and also manage who has access to those modules who can see them who can publish them and so on and just kind of making that whole story a lot nicer especially for um enterprise customers that you know have a a lot to gain by using npm inside their company in a much deeper way
1: now would they self-host those modules or would they be hosted on npm and only have certain people have access to them uh, no, we're,
3: we're gonna continue to host them and I think that actually in the long run, that's a very, very valuable thing to be able to do. I think a lot of, we've heard from a lot of companies that they really just want to use the exact same workflow that they have today, you know, where their developers can publish things and then other people can install those things on, on the other side of the company without having to, you know, get checked by some secret cabal of people or whatever. And they, you know, they like NPM, NPM is being used inside of a lot of companies, but then they can't use it for their private stuff. And it gets really hacky and inconvenient to have multiple different systems for different sorts of things. So we're going to try and make that really streamlined and easy for them. And like I said, I don't want to go too far down the path of, you know, saying how that's going to work, because it doesn't exist yet. So it'll probably change before it does. And you know, I don't want people to get too attached to any implementation details before it's been implemented. Hmm. So That's cool, though. That's, that's an
4: awesome feature. Yeah. It is. I just wanted to say that that's a pain point that we've had. As Node users, we've had to dance around a lot to get around the fact that we can deploy by NPM installing unless we have private modules that we don't want public on NPM. So that's a cool story. One of the things that we've discovered from literally every company that
0: we've spoken to you know, about you know, what is it that you'd, that you'd want out of us is that they all go, yes, that is exactly what we wanted. That thing, let us pay for it yesterday. As a company selling a service, it's a really great thing to hear that all of your customers have always wanted the thing that you're about <laughs> to build. It's
4: not a so bad problem to have.
5: Is that then the monetization strategy? Keep regular NPM free and open and private modules you pay for you know, the number of modules? I mean, I know you don't want to talk about the details exactly, but I kind of wondered how do they plan on monetizing NPM?
3: So I think there's a common saying, in, uh, I don't I don't know who said this first, and I, I certainly am not the one who did, but if you're not the customer, you're the product. I think that a lot of times, you know, in reference to something like like Facebook or Twitter, it's pretty clear what you're getting, right? They're showing you ads, and you're showing up to look at those ads. So you're kind of like the product, and the advertiser is the customer. In the case of NPM, uh, or, or something else where it's a community kind of activity, it's not always bad to be the product, right? You know, you could say the same thing about GitHub. You could say GitHub, like, if you're using just public open source code, by showing up at GitHub, you're making GitHub relevant. And you're sort of increasing their importance in the tech ecosystem. And I I think that that is an example of being the product, but it's also, you know, as the product, you're getting a lot of good out of it. When it comes to a situation where you want somebody to host something that is private or act as your agent in some kind of delicate way, like, you know, holding onto some secret stuff that you don't want the world to see. In that case, you probably don't want to be the product. In that case, you probably want to pay for it. And that sets up a whole different kind of relationship, right? Because now you have They have a fiduciary duty to treat you at least somewhat responsibly. You're going to think about it as some kind of a contract. It'll be a little bit more binding. And so the way that we're approaching it is basically the free stuff will stay free because honestly, it's best for us if it's free. Like that's in the long run. It just doesn't make sense from a business point of view to start charging for stuff that's currently free. All it's going to do is make people go elsewhere. But if we're going to be hosting, you know, secret stuff, you know, private code or, you know things that you use in your website that you don't want the world to see. uh, In that case, yeah, you should pay for that. As a person who hosts, who runs, you know, websites and stuff, I wouldn't trust someone to host that for me unless I was paying for it.
1: Yeah, I really also like the model where, like you said, I mean, people are using NPM as part of their workflow. I mean, it's stuff that they use, it's stuff that they need for their applications. And they don't have to do anything differently other than they go in, they pay to be able to make some stuff private. But for their developers, I mean, the rest of it is just the way they've always done it, which is really, really slick.
4: Yeah. I wanted okay. to step in and just ask really quick about the history of NPM up until now, kind of how it started off. And then it, it went through a bunch of transitions before ending up kind of in your guys' hands in the form of a company. Do you want to talk about that
3: a little bit? Sure. So basically, I wrote NPM shortly before coming to Joyent, And I've been on JS Jabber a few times now and, and kind of told the, the history of that part of things. hmm while running the Node project over the last couple of years, it became increasingly clear that kind of the, the thing that was holding Node back more than anything else was the fact that some of these like enterprise and business friendly features didn't exist in NPM. So, you know, big companies who are trying to use Node as part of their infrastructure had a really hard time and, and wasted a lot of developer cycles sort of either reinventing the wheel or just dealing with the kind of friction that that happens when you have multiple different ways of managing code. So while I joined, actually, Rod and I kind of got to talking about what the future of NPM would look like and what the future of Node would look like. And it was a bit of time before we, you know, formally decided like, Hey, let's, let's do a company, you know, let's, let's do a startup here. And yeah, so, it, and it, it came together extremely fast. A lot of people I know had told me, you know, get prepared, get ready. You're going to spend six to nine months talking to investors and they're all going to jerk you around. And, you know, and I was kind of prepared for that. I was like, okay, well, that's, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Came together extremely fast. I think, uh, you know, the, the guys at True basically, I think we weren't even actually incorporated yet before they were like, okay, well, how soon can we talk terms? That's also, I mean, good, good problems to have, right? There's a lot to, a lot to be said for their kind of insight into how this is going to impact the tech scene. And then also how it's in its own right, a, a pretty viable business. I'm convinced that it was all
6: Lori doing
3: that got the pace of it going,
6: because uh, when the three of us sat down for the first time, Lori said, yeah, okay, so um I'd like you guys to be ready uh, in six weeks. And somehow, six weeks later, we managed to get funding, closed it, and started up, had office space, everything. We've been very, very lucky. And the team at True has been amazing. VCs, some of them are pretty cynical. The folks at True are like a family. As soon as we, we hadn't even closed the deal before, they were offering us space in their office while they're busy doing a thing like raising their fourth round feeding us a lot of chocolate, helping us with every single aspect of the business in terms of thinking about how we scale up or how we can save money by outsourcing the finance function and who to work with and all that kind of stuff. Very mundane, but it's made it really easy to to focus on the most important thing, which is the community and, and the,
4: the core open source project. That's super exciting. That's awesome. So I know there's been some pushback or questions about forming a company around the package registry and NPM in general and stuff. I think a lot of that comes from the example of other communities like Ruby or Python where they have nonprofits and it's kind of this like benevolent free like it's kind of like a resource that's provided for you but there's not a company around it and there's not any paid services around it. Can you talk about why you chose to go this route instead of kind of set up like the NPM Foundation similar to what Ruby Gems did or something like that? So
3: setting up a uh not for profit foundation is is absolutely something that we're kind of considering. There's a few pros and some cons to going that route. Um, doing a foundation is still on the list of possibilities. Basically, in the short term, we were able to, it's a little bit faster to get a company set up. And I actually wanted to, I saw an actual business opportunity here and wanted to go and pursue it. So we were going to do that anyway. As far as having a foundation that owns the open source code, that's still possible but, in order to do that, we would have to you know set up those legal entities and transfer ownership of those things and and also figure out how to fund that. You still have a lot of politics involved in something like that, and you still have a lot of a lot of interested players and you know investors and interested parties who are going to try and sort of nudge things in their direction. In fact, in some ways, it can be more political because you can't just say, "Well, revenue says we do this right." Mm-hmm. And so by doing the company first, we're actually, we keep that option open, but we can pursue the immediate needs of the community right now, which is actually delivering solutions for NPM within the enterprise.
1: Something that's slightly related to this as far as, uh, you know, a foundation or a company and who owns what and who controls what, what about the code licensing? Because NPM was open source, I'm assuming it's still open source, I don't know why I said was you know, a lot of people have contributed to it. How do you get them to grant a license to NPM Inc. or whomever in order to, you know, open that up so that you can use it commercially? Well, actually, the
3: NPM license already allows anybody to use NPM commercially. The NPM client itself is open sourced under the Artistic License 2.0. And what that says is basically you can do anything you I mean, I'm not a lawyer. Don't take this as legal advice. But basically what that says is you can use NPM in almost any way you want, very similar to MIT or BSD. The additional restriction is you can't change it and still call it NPM without sending those changes upstream. So if you said, you know, I'm going to change NPM so that it, you know, installs from PyPy and uses all of PyPy's things or whatever, you'd have to give it a new name. Right. And that's actually kind of good because you don't, otherwise it's going to be really confusing and stuff. And the other thing is you can't charge a license fee for NPM itself. And as far as, you know, the multiple contributors, they still own their stake in NPM. I mean, the, the copyright statement right now changed from, the big difference is the copyright statement changed from Isaac Schluter and NPM contributors to NPM Inc. and NPM contributors. The vast majority of NPM was written by me and, you know, a relatively small number of other people, and we still have a really good relationship with all of them. This company is built on open source. We live and breathe open source, and we're going to keep keeping things open. I mean, even even a lot of our paid projects, we're kind of looking at, okay, what can we, basically, what can we get away with open sourcing? You know, and is there a way that we can have our whole infrastructure still be built on open source pieces and, you know, just have like the actual private data private? So it's not really a conflict as far as I'm concerned
1: that makes sense what about the repository of uh, node modules
3: we will have to do some things to you know make things a little bit more regimented and rigorous and and kind of you know get away from some of the loosey-goosey way that things have been done in the past which you can get away with when you're an individual but not so much when you're a company in particular i'm talking about stuff like terms of use and terms of service stuff which we're, you know we're in the process of making all that kind of rationalized The history, historically, basically the NPM registry is owned by me, but all of the things that are in it are owned by their respective publishers. And I've reserved the right to, you know, delete or remove or modify things as necessary in order to keep it going good. So basically, we need to get a more formalized kind of terms of service that shows that.
2: So one thing that I had thought about a couple years ago and almost acted on but didn't, obviously, was... There was an app store for a decade before Apple came out with it. Like Linux has had repositories and had, you know, clickable download stuff interfaces for a very long time. Apple took that same idea, attached a dollar per item, and boom, it exploded into a huge thing. It was also on the phones, which was a completely new market, but... Apple took an idea that everybody, well, that was in the Linux community was already using and they put it on their Mac desktop and they put it on the phone and and it exploded. And I thought, well, you know, we have all these communities of software that's mostly free, but maybe there's an opportunity for something where, you know, to have a license to this module, you pay a dollar, which I think is good for a lot of people because it doesn't mean necessarily that somebody's going to get super rich, but it does kind of help fund that, you know, hobbyist development. What do you think about that kind of model?
3: There have been folks who have asked us to implement that. We haven't figured out if or how it would be good to do that, but it's, it's definitely on our, our list of things to kind of investigate and figure out and see if there's a a good way to do it. The biggest problem and the reason why, another reason why I wanted to be the one to kind of be at the head of this, this NPM Inc company is that bringing money into the equation can change things in really dramatic and subtle ways. And the minute you start saying, well, you know, this arg parser costs a dollar and this other one doesn't, well, you know, now you kind of have an incentive for the author of the paid one to go and trash talk the free one or vice versa. And people act differently when there's a dollar sign attached to it. That's not to say that it can't be done in a good way. It's just to say that, like, there are some very real hazards. So we're approaching that very carefully.
1: I want to kind of talk about some of the other concerns that I usually hear when this kind of thing happens. I mean, I spend most of my time programming Ruby. And I remember when Heroku hired Mats Yukihiro Matsumoto, who actually uh, continues to you know push forward the development of Ruby. Or there have been several other libraries that have kind of been brought in house by various companies that want to sponsor them or things like that. And the concern always comes out to be, well, then they're not going to be as interested in the community, or they're not going to be as interested in keeping things as open and transparent as they have been, and things like that. And it it seems like you're approaching it from the right direction talking to you now but do you worry that you know if you have an investor that has some influence or some you know some other entity that you know buys additional stock in npm inc that things might go sideways one way or the other
3: i think if there's an investor who's gonna buy something and then destroy it i mean that's sort of a not a very good investor and we would be fairly unwise to get involved with them we did a lot of diligence with true before deciding to accept their money and You know, and also we retained a lot of control over the company. I can't go into details of exactly how our cap table is structured, but like I'm not so worried about us getting taken over. I mean, we had a very valuable thing, they recognize that and they've, you know, invested accordingly. And I I think that they really they understand that the value is coming from the open source community. They've had investments in other open source things that they've managed very wisely. And, you know, ultimately it's easy to say that, you know, VCs are bad and certainly a lot of them are. It's uh It's a little over, overly simplistic, right? Because VCs are people and some of those people understand how open source works and some of them don't. And it's it's the same with anything else. You know, you, you can say, oh, Sally broke my heart and therefore women are the worst. But that's not really a reasonable conclusion to draw, right? Like, you know, there's lots of people with a lot of different approaches to investment. I'm absolutely doing the like the CEO thing and not answering your question. But uh...
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to ask all of the hard questions and the, you know, Address some of the concerns that people have about some of this stuff.
6: One of the things that is kind of indicative of how much we've thought about this is the kind of people that we've brought in. So when we started down this route, actually, the guy we call was Tony Schneider, at who was with Matt Mullenweg at WordPress for a long, long time, and is probably the mellowest guy to ever be a VC He put us in touch with Puneet and Matt Mullenwick himself is an angel investor in this effort. And we went to people who have done open source, who believe in open source, who spent a lot of time around it and understand the value of it and understand that you have to balance things and grow them while still taking care of the community. It's not always perfect, but hopefully that indication of years of. Particularly Isaac's effort, but to dedicated effort to open source, and then all the people that we're bringing in is is a kind of an indication that we want to push this in a way that does the right thing.
5: Right, Isaac. When you started building npm, did
3: you ever have an idea that this someday might be a business that you would lead? Not really. I mean, not originally, anyway. You know, I, I wrote npm because we needed a thing that does what npm does. Right. I, I wrote a a thing that would be a package manager for Node programs because. It was a big pain in the ass to install node programs that people were you know talking about on the mailing list and I couldn't actually use it in my program so you know it just seemed like we needed a thing that did that and over time it's kind of grown into this very big and relevant community force and I think there there's a lot of really interesting places we can take it so sure i I always thought I would do a startup about something else I mean <laughs> this, sure. this wasn't very high on my list that I want to write a package manager company that doesn't even didn't even make sense some would say it probably still doesn't. But, you know, it's something that's become uh, a source of value. And there's additional ways that we can add value. And some of those ways will make us a few bucks. So yeah, if I can keep doing this as my job for a while, that'd be great. Very cool.
5: And the other question I had was, do you see, I mean, Node is starting to see a lot of play in the browser space. Um, People are starting to refer to them as Node packaged modules instead of Node modules that are packaged by Node as well, and I'm wondering if you've seen NPM expanding beyond just packaging up Node code
3: around. I think that using NPM and the the Node style module pattern in client side JavaScript is absolutely catching on, and it's a really really interesting thing. I would like to hand the mic over to Lori in a minute, but basically just wanted to point out that NPM has actually stands for no prescribed meaning. So yeah, it's, it's <laughs> I
4: node thought packaged. it was Node package made.
3: <laughs> it's it is, it is no problem meatbag, so it's it's whatever you need it to be. Norwegian polka music.
1: <laughs> so watch uh, out, AJ might start humming some.
5: I, I want to hear Laurie's take on this web browser. So the reason I immediately wanted to chime in
0: on that stuff is because I'm like ridiculously passionate about web stuff, and when Isaac was first talking about Node to me. Back in like 2008 when we used to work together at Yahoo, the first thing I said was, well, can I use it to make web pages? And he was like, well, not really. There's this thing called EJS, but it doesn't really work. And there's like this express JS thing and like, and the story just wasn't there. And I was like, all right, call me when it actually makes web pages. And then, you know, like four years later, like it makes web pages. And he called me and was like, Hey, we should do this thing. And I was like, okay, yes, because I've, you know, been looking at the web space for my entire professional career and the you know, what really gets me going is when I'm like, ah, this would make it easier to make the web bigger. And that's all I really ever want to do. So I think Browserify in particular is a gem of the Node ecosystem that not enough people understand and not enough people use. And there's a bunch of other stuff in that space. There's like SAS compilers and the way that you can use Grunt to, you know, get your asset pipelines in order and stuff like that. Like, Node's not there as far as web development is concerned yet, but it's nearly there. And one of the big things that I personally want to do as part of NPM is make Node the way that you build
4: web pages. Um, Very cool. That's really what I want out of it. That's awesome. I mean, that sounds absolutely terrific. Aaron, I know you had a question you wanted to ask a while ago. Yeah. So I know you guys can't talk about all the the new stuff and the possible stuff coming in your in your newer versions and that sucks because I was super excited to hear all you guys' stuff. But maybe uh, you could talk about some of the existing things that are going to change or some of the existing things that are going to go away. I think that that might be something interesting for me and maybe for the listeners as well.
3: Some of the current things. The biggest thing that did this actually isn't an NPM ink thing. This is just kind of an NPM thing that has been a thorn in many people's sides for quite a long time, which is that the ability to publish a changed version of a package, like, you know, I have version, like package at 1.2.3 and I can like unpublish that version and then publish it again with different contents at the same version number. It's not really something that was ever supposed to work. It just kind of did, and we didn't lock it down. and so people started you know taking advantage of it and kind of depending on that behavior and then others were occasionally extremely frustrated by it because they would get new bugs, even though they didn't change the version number. They'd have two different instances of their program running and getting like error numbers with different line numbers and like really confused. <laughs> it's like we have the same version installed. Why is it different? i I saw this at join a lot when I was working there. I just kind of never got around to preventing that. So recently we did actually roll out a change that makes it so that you can never reuse a version number of a given package. And people have generally reacted with either total elation or total outrage at this, or some combination. <laughs> so I know I heard some wailing and
4: gnashing. Yeah, I definitely
3: saw it. some raging as well.
1: Yeah. yeah, um, But it only takes one time where you build an application oh, yeah. and then you deploy it to another machine, say production, and it doesn't work.
3: Right. It's one thing if you just oh, that module's gone, right? Like, okay, they unpublished it. It got deleted. Maybe there was some you know, something leaked that it shouldn't have been in there or some horrible security bug, whatever. Maybe it's good that it broke. When it works but is different, that's actually much more hazardous. Mm-hmm. So that is no longer a uh, an option. That's no
4: longer a thing you can do. And I think the pain point of that is basically like some laziness on the part of publishers. Like it is less convenient. I can see their objections to it. But like right. you said, the upside is that hopefully you won't break production in incredibly difficult to diagnose ways. Right, right. You'll break production in very easy to diagnose ways. Yep. <laughs> which is which is so much better. That's uh, better than what I do now.
1: Well then yeah. you eliminated a whole ton of well, it works on my machine.
3: Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So the other thing that's changing or has already changed and is kind of going to keep changing a little bit is we have a more advanced and carefully thought out infrastructure at this point. We have a single write master with multiple read slaves. Um, we have monitoring set up on all different things. Laurie can actually talk more about this because I'm in the lucky position now where I don't actually know how everything works. <laughs> yeah, I
0: guess if there's one thing that I really, really want to go away, it's downtime. So I was going to ask about that. Um, we have... <laughs> We've sort of been, NPM has been sort of infamous for being sort of randomly down a lot, which is something that at my last company, I got a lot of experience in keeping things up all the time. And um, that's definitely something that we've already made huge progress on. We've hired some really, really great people who know DevOps inside and out. And what they're focused on right now, like, you know, they're sitting three feet away from me listening to me saying this, is that they're <laughs> focused on making sure that We can't prevent it ever going down, but we should know within, you know, two minutes what went wrong and we should have a plan to make sure that that gets replaced as soon as possible and never goes wrong again. And we are making enormous progress on that. You know, we were previously talking about, oh, you know, it didn't work on Sunday, right? Like, you know, we would be talking in terms of like a day when it didn't work very well. And now we're talking about, oh, well, we had seven minutes of downtime. Here's why that happened. So we intend to keep focusing on that. And as Isaac was alluding to, part of the way that's happened is that we radically changed, well, not too radically. We made a major change to the way that our backend database is working, which was previously um, we had one giant couch TV. That contained all of the package metadata, and it contained all of the packages themselves. All of the binaries were in this single giant database. And I don't know how many of you have spent a lot of time with databases, but one of the big things that everybody who spent a lot of time with databases knows is that you should never put your binaries in the database. It's a terrible idea. It always goes wrong. (laughs) Is that even true of CouchDB then, huh? I mean, I have never met a database in 15 years of which it is not true. And it's definitely not true of CouchDB. Like, it's, you know, you definitely shouldn't do that because you are, you know, taking this thing, which is meant to sort of like sort and organize data, and you're giving it binary data, which it can neither sort nor organize. It can't do anything with that data other than get really fat. So we moved the binaries out of Couch. And so now we have a much, much, much smaller Couch, which is just the metadata, um, and we're encouraging people to replicate that and let us take care of the binaries or, you know, let them mirror their binaries separately as binaries without having to mirror an entire database full of binaries. So and that that would work really well if, you know, it had just started that way from nothing yesterday. But unfortunately, obviously, we didn't used to do it that way. So we have some people who depend on on the way that it used to work. And so we have jumped through a fair number of hoops To make sure that it remained backwards compatible and, you know, there is still a copy of a couch that has all of the binaries in it and you can still replicate from that the way that they used to. And it still works as well as it used to, which is to say not very well.
5: (laughs) So where, where do you put the binaries now? Are they just on some sort of CDN? They are at the moment sitting on uh, Manta, which is a
0: super awesome uh, sort of S3 plus Hadoop hybrid thing that lets you store binaries and also operate on binaries in a distributed way, um, which is one of the coolest things that Joint has ever come up with. We are in the process of putting that in more than one place because, you know, as good as Manta is, there's only one of it. And it does not it's not up 100% of the time. So we are putting some engineering effort right now as we speak again uh, into taking those binaries and, and putting them in multiple places. Everything that comes out of the registry right now is sitting behind our CDN or other our sort of geodistributed CDN cache thing called Fastly, who have awesomely donated all of these services to NPM, the open source project. So very little of the binaries gets actually served from us. Very little of that stuff is coming from our servers directly. It's mostly being distributed by the CDN. But the ultimate sort of source of it is Manta, and soon a couple other binary stores that we're going to be sure. setting up.
5: Sure. I guess also removing your version publishing helps you not have to invalidate your CDNs.
0: Yeah, your vastly.
5: I should say. We we
0: purge the cache um, pretty actively anyway, but. Not having a binary that can randomly change from one binary to another is, uh, without changing name, it certainly simplifies that.
1: Very cool. So one thing that I just, I wanted to point out, it seems like some of the things that I keep hearing from other open source providers, you know, people who write open source or manage open source projects, is that they really need people to have more time to work on things. And that's one of the things that I think is really exciting about you guys incorporating and having a you know, a round of seed funding is just that it sets things up so that you guys can kind of go full time on this stuff and solve a lot of the problems that we have and give us better features. And it's not just coming from a place of you love the community and you want to give this stuff to us, which having talked to you guys, you know, it comes across that you do. But it's also in your best interest as the company grows and provides these other features and products that you do that. And so that's the thing that when I read it I got really excited about was that we have this opportunity in the community for you guys to take that money and basically spend a lot of it on us.
3: (laughs) Uh, yes, that is the intended goal. We are spending the money on NPM and the, the open source community. In the process, we're also trying to figure out ways that we can be, you know, long-term sustainable and, you know, sell services that, you know, to be honest, people really want to pay for in such a way that that will continue to kind of feedback and help the ecosystem keep growing. I mean, the, the open source community is what makes NPM worth investing in, worth buying from, worth being a part of. And so that's our well that all our value is kind of coming out of. And, The last thing that we want to do is anything that's going to make that well flow less productively. And, you know, there's there's things that we're not prioritizing right now just because we have to kind of put out existing fires and deal with uptime and also deliver products that people want to pay for. But I think in the long term, we'll have a lot of opportunity for doing things that are, you know... Just strictly making the open source community better. There's features we can add in terms of security and reliability and just other kind of goodies that we could do to make the life of an NPM user a lot better. And having people who are working on that full time is really the way that that happens. As nice as open source and kind of like community, charity, and goodwill are, when it's not your job, it's not the thing you're doing, right? It's something that you're spending a weekend on here and there. And it's not really fair to expect that people are going to contribute that much while also holding down a full-time job. Also, we bought a lot of stickers. I bought 10,000 stickers from Sticker Mule. <laughs> <Lobster>. oh, buddy. <laughs> if you see me,
4: I'll give you some. You just like throw them into the wind like they're just, flower just petals.
3: Yep. At That's New awesome. Media
1: Expo, there was a guy that gave a keynote that actually threw money out off the stage. That is so tacky. It was, it was really tacky. (laughs) That's the tackiest thing I've ever heard. And and then half of the (laughs) presentations the next day, the people introducing the speakers were throwing money out. And then as soon as they got off stage, they were running to gather it back up. But it was still pretty funny. But yeah, that would be awesome. Do you know when or where you're going to be that we can get these stickers? Because I know that that's the only reason people go to conferences.
3: We're going to be at JSConf and also at NodeConf. And also we're going to be at 200 Frankagawa Plaza very soon. Hopefully, if the lease doesn't fall through, <laughs> um, no pressure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, what we're actually looking at, we were actually talking about this earlier today because we're we're getting close to moving into this new space in uh, downtown Oakland, and we're kind of thinking about a way that we can very directly support the Node community and the Oakland JavaScript community by having some, you know, some additional space. Like if you want to drop by and hack with us or something, we will be able to have a little bit of room, and hopefully, it won't get out of
4: hand. That is um, cool. That sounds awesome. I have a kind of a change of subject. I know for a while, Nojitsu very generously donated time and resources to maintaining the NPM package registry. And then NPM Inc. kind of started and took it over. Do you want to talk about the transition that happened there? That's a that's a very accurate description, yeah. Actually, it
3: was Iris Couch before it was Nojitsu. And then um, Nojitsu okay. acquired Iris Couch. And with it, acquired the custodianship of the NPM registry. And they found themselves in a position where getting you know, the way that the NPM registry was structured with having a a single big couch that was doing not big couch, a single large couch DB that was serving all of the puts and all of the gets was becoming very, very difficult to maintain as it does. And you know what, the approach that worked really well at the start of 2013 no longer worked by the end of 2013. And they were getting into these situations where, you know, it was going down and and just impossible to come up the database was getting too many rights to ever be able to compact the bandwidth and hosting bills for no jitsu were getting pretty outrageous so it got to a point where basically no jitsu had to reach out for help at the time i hadn't actually you know we we were still kind of investigating whether or not it made sense to make a company around this whether it was even something that we could kind of build a business model around it i'm I'm not a fan of the sort of traditional dot-com bubble approach where you just raise a bunch of money and then figure out what you're going to do, right? I didn't didn't want to start the fundraising or the uh, uh, VC funding thing until we had some kind of idea of what a business plan would look like. You're not going to pivot NPM into a tower defense game, is what you're saying? <laughs> I said I wasn't going to talk about vaporware, but I might make an <laughs> exception for that. Um anyway there i mean we're basically getting crushed by this exponential wave of people coming into npm and trying to use it and and really being excited about it and so the scale npm fundraising drive which actually we did on this podcast we came and talked about it on here Mm -hmm. that basically got us out from under you know out from under being crushed by this wave of people who were adopting npm but you know if you sit down and do the math like even a pretty junior software developer or DevOps person in San Francisco or in New York, you know, in in an American city is going to cost a fair bit of money. And so if you want to have, you know, five, six people full time on maintaining the NPM registry, and also pay for hosting and bandwidth and all of this other stuff, it's 300 grand is not going to actually get you that far. It was enough to get us to where Nojitsu wouldn't have the You know, make the choice to either shut down the NPM registry or, you know, or nothing. Basically, they had to find some money or turn it off. With that in mind, we did the scale NPM fundraising drive. Charlie Robbins, you know, ran that whole show. It was a no jitsu operation. I worked on figuring out ways to, you know, now that we've kept the lights on for a few months, let's figure out ways to keep the lights on for eternity. You know, how do we actually have a system that will scale not just to the next you know, 100,000 packages, but the next million packages, 10 million, 100 million packages. Like, how do we actually take NPM into the stars, you know, like, and keep going with it? And the way to do that was actually not by, by not just having it all, get thrown in, in a single couch DB, right? The way to approach that is to have put a CDN in front, not keep the tarballs as attachments in the database and do a lot of these other things that took very careful steps and also take a lot of people being on call and people owning and maintaining each part of this. So the way to do that is to build a company with a dedicated focus on it. And so that's why I pursued funding. And like I said, we raised a lot more than 300 grand, but it's still, you know, two and a half million is a big number, right? If that was in your personal bank account, you'd be like, whoo-hoo, I'm rich. But for a company, I mean, companies are pretty expensive. If you have a bunch of employees, you, have, you know, say you have 10 employees, like that's only going to last you a year or two at the most. And so you really need to figure out a way to turn that $2 million into, you know, $20 million in revenue in a reasonable amount of time in order to take it to, you know, the next step and to continue growing. I think there was a lot of perception that we probably could have managed a lot better. Just for starters, I think it would have been a lot better to be more clear. Which I guess, in retrospect, you know, twenty twenty hindsight, like the npm logos all over the scale npm site, and it's not very obvious that it was a Nojitsu thing. That it, that the goal was to keep Nojitsu able to keep the npm registry up for longer. And also, you know, there's kind of this weird perception where it's like you asked us for money and then you must have already been in the process of raising funding because as we all know, raising funding takes six to nine months. So you were probably almost done by the time that happened. Well, as it turns out, like we hadn't actually started yet. True Ventures just came through really, really fast. So that much in in the, the public perception, I think, is a little bit unfortunate. There's not much we can do, I think, at this point to correct that stuff except to move forward and you know continue to earn people's trust by acting good. Companies are inherently untrustworthy, and I, I have exactly the same feeling about most companies. I have a much easier time trusting a person than a corporation, but I think you know that's just incumbent on us to do the right thing and to continue doing the right thing indefinitely so that we can you know earn back some of that trust that we spent in that whole process. To be honest, I think it would have been worse if you know nojitsu had just bottomed out and had to turn the registry off for a few months while we were figuring out our funding situation. We kind of picked the least bad of a couple of even worse options. Yeah, turning the registry off. That sounds pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, so that, that's, that that's clarifies
4: a... stuff a lot. That's really helpful.
3: Turning the registry off is effectively what was happening in October and November, right? Because there were so many outages and downtime. Like, we're basically still recovering from that public perception of NPM as a thing you can't depend on. So, there was really no great option. The better option would have been to go back in time a year and create NPM Inc. then. If we had done this at the start of 2013, it would have been a little bit harder to get funding, probably, because we wouldn't have been as big or as popular, but still probably could have avoided a lot of that rocky time. That being said, you know, there's a saying that Jason Smith told me that there's the best time to plant a tree is 30 years ago, and the second best time to plant a tree is right now. So, you know, this is the second best time to create NPM Inc. was at the start of 2014. So
4: that's when we did it. So this is like the climax of the conflict in the movie that's going to be made about this in 20 years. I don't know. This is this is the low point And then the happy montage is about to start. Boy, I hope they get a good, get a good
1: voice actor for me.
4: <laughs> Chuck will be featured prominently, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> cool. Right. No,
4: that's, that's exactly what I wanted to know. That's super helpful. Thanks for clearing that up.
1: One other thing that I guess I have to ask. I mean, you've kind of been a little bit shy about talking about the future, but What are kind of the things that we can expect to see in the short term that you're working on right now with NPM?
3: Well, like I said, private modules are the, as far as big features go, that's going to be the one to kind of keep an eye out for. Mm -hmm. When you sort of pick apart what that means and how we're going to go about implementing that, there are some other kind of feature directions we could take it in once we have those parts. Uh, Some other interesting things, you know, a surprisingly common question when I was running the Node project that I, I saw a lot from newcomers was like, okay, I downloaded Node and I installed it and I did npm install and I did all these modules and I even made a module and that was all really easy. And now I have a little server program that's going. So now what? Like, where do I put it? How do I make this go on the webs? And so the, you know, the fastest way that we can do that is just kind of expose some of those goods and services that are out there and uh, have a section of our website where you can look at resources and stuff. Another thing that's going to come back very soon, which I know Rod has been really, really just eager to see is uh, download counts. There was a little bit of conspiracy theories about how we had taken away download counts and then we were going to start charging for them. And that's yeah, our model. That was kind of funny, actually. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, no, we are, <laughs> we are not going to be charging for download counts. Those are coming back. The reason they went away is because we were keeping time series data in a couch TV and just FYI don't ever do that. It's a terrible idea. Time series data is hard to get right. And CouchDB is the wrong tool for the job. Everybody told me that when I first whipped it up. And it was like, well, yeah, but this kind of works. Um, why not? And here's, here's why not. Because after a while, it falls over. And, and it takes forever to get any kind of data out of it. Laurie, do you want to talk a little bit about how downloads counts are working? Well, there's not
0: a ton of complication to it. Uh, we have logs from our CDN. It was previously from the server directly. And now it comes from Fastly. You know, we have an event every time somebody downloads things and we are throwing those into Manta, which, like I said earlier, it has sort of Hadoop-like functionality where you can just sort of run shell programs on the data in place and then get it to MapReduce stuff back up to you. And it turns out that MapReduce is a really great way of counting stuff up. You know, it's basically the simplest thing that you can do with MapReduce is count stuff up. So we have a Manta job that counts up all of the day's downloads and throws them into what is whisper it, a MySQL database. I'm so sorry, everyone. Because it's so, it's so small. It's like 5 million rows. Like It doesn't matter what you put it in when it's 5 million rows, as long as it's not couch. And so I am literally in the background as I am talking on this podcast, spinning up the server that has the 5 million rows on it and spinning up the node process that will serve them out. And about an hour ago, I open-sourced the code that runs the web surface. So they'll be back very, very soon, I promise. And it's just the most drop-dead simple web service you can ever think of. It's just a tiny little one-method-happy service. And that'll be a public API that anybody can call if you you know, desperately need to know your download counts every single day. You can just curl it now.
3: That's cool. That's, that'll be public. That's Absolutely. cool. We've also been considering that there's, you know, there's a lot of other stats that we could be tracking. We may have other things to add to that. Like I said, the top priority is bringing back stuff that had either fallen over or, you know, we couldn't keep maintaining for whatever reason. And we're almost back to feature parity of where we were at, at the start of last year.
4: I just wanted to ask about the transition in stepping down from leading node to NPM Inc. I mean, that's a huge deal. It just totally slipped my mind because we were talking only about NPM Inc. But. How did that work? Did you just decide that it was too much work to do that full time as well as NPM Inc. stuff?
3: They're both like three full time jobs. So I think, yeah, there was no way. I mean, the, the reason I hadn't really done much with NPM in the last couple of years is because I've been running the Node program, the Node project. And, you know, Node had gotten to a point where really what it needed was more of what TJ Fontaine was already bringing to the project. He started on Node Core and at and Joint. I think it's been, what, like a year and a half, year or so, maybe two years now. And, you know, he brings a lot of very, like, very high degree of, you know, rigor and and consistency to the Node project. And he's not, you know, also trying to manage a package manager ecosystem. So, you know, he's got a better view of some of the low level stuff that was happening in Node. I think my skill set in Node was kind of around, you know, figuring out what the right API surface should look like for the JavaScript stuff. And I think I did an okay job with that. TJ is a better leader for where Node is right now. And, you know, it was very clear that, npm was the thing that needed the most attention so it seemed inappropriate actually for me to keep running the node project and effectively tj had been doing that job for quite some time already so i think you know stepping down was it felt very obvious it felt more like we were just sort of publicizing something that had already happened by the time it it did become public Uh that's cool
1: cool all right well i guess we're uh at the end of our discussion here so let's go ahead and do some picks aj do you want to start us off with picks
2: Yeah. Since we mentioned the proverb of the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago, there's actually a pretty cool article that I'll link to that's kind of a better your life, New Year's resolution type of thing that the Church of Jesus Christ put out. And also I will link you to randomuser.me, which is this wonderful, lovely API where you can get They have 140 different picture profiles available and then probably quite a bit more than that in terms of the like usernames and email addresses that are all fake. But it's just a cool site. If you need to grab a bunch of fake user data to template somewhere, you can get them with cool pictures and with email addresses that look legit except for the example.com and that kind of thing. And I thought I had something else, but I don't remember right now. So we'll go with that.
1: All right, uh Merrick, what are your picks? So I have three picks. My first
5: pick is an album that came out two weeks ago called Ledges by Noah Gunderson. It's just absolutely wonderful kind of singer-songwriter music. And with that, another album that came out this week by William Fitzsimmons, Lions, and again, more awesome acoustic music. And the last pick is actually one that's sort of a nostalgic ode, which is the first time that I talked to Isaacs, His pick on J.S. Jabber was the book Nonviolent Communication by Marshall B. Rosenberg. And I actually read the book after that, and I thought the book was absolutely terrific. One of the best books I've read to date. I haven't wrote Isaac's probably a slightly uncomfortable email for him. um, (laughs) The book was just terrific, so I wanted to also make that part of my
4: picks. Tell Merrick not to call me. (laughs) Uh, Uh,
5: Is that that Merrick kid going to be on the call? Because I don't know if I want to do it.
2: I second the motion, too, or third it, or fifth it, or whatever. I uh, listened to it on audio tape. It was really good. I really enjoyed it, and I wish that, you know, that was part of public education was a class where you just listen to that book or something.
1: Yeah, I can totally see it. Merrick has a collection of uh, restraining orders from JavaScript developers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Aaron, what are your picks? Uh, I just have one pick. so I'm not very prepared this week. So there's a new album by a group called Congos.
4: They have a new album called Lunatic, and it's... Pretty wicked awesome. So I've been coding to it this week and really enjoying it. Jameson. I only have two. The first one is Mountain West JS. I'm going to keep saying it until it's over. And I'll probably forget when the podcast gets published. So you'll probably hear it like one more time after the conference is over. But JavaScript conference in Salt Lake City, Utah, March 17th to 18th. Tickets are still on sale. And I would love to see you there. I'm going to be there. Um, I think Chuck's going to be there. A couple other people.
1: are going to be there. Jameson speaking, so...
4: Yep, unfortunately. But the other thing is, it's this GitHub repo for... It's an HTML5 game called Nothing to Hide. I guess it doesn't matter what it's written in, because it's just a good game. It's not like a game that you look at and think, like, this is good for an HTML5 game. It's a legit good game. And it's about, like, reverse surveillance. So the point of the game is, there are all these cameras all around the levels, and you have to stay within sight of the cameras, because this, like... Crazy city-state is going to shoot you if it can't surveil you at all times. It's pretty interesting, but I also thought it was cool that they put 100% of their game just up on GitHub as they're developing it right now. So those are my picks.
1: Awesome. I've got a couple of picks here. One is Monster Legends. I've been playing it on the iPad, but I guess you can play it on Facebook as well. It's kind of a fun game. It You, know, you breed monsters and feed them, and you get them big, and then you go and you battle with other... People's monsters, and there's also a track of battles that you can do to get experience and stuff. And it's it's a lot of fun, I've been really enjoying it, so I'm gonna pick that. I've also been getting into the project management uh, software Redmine, and I found a plugin that I'm really enjoying. It's called eKanban, and so I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. It did take a little bit of doing to get it set up just because the instructions aren't great, but uh, I'm really enjoying that, and then. I also read a couple of books this weekend. The first one is Tribes by Seth Godin. And I, I really enjoyed that. Just a terrific book. And I'm trying to remember what the other one was, so apparently it didn't stick with me. But anyway, those are my picks. Isaac, what are your picks? I have
3: two picks, which are not really related. The first one is Codescouts.org, which is a... Code Scouts is kind of interesting. It's a not-for-profit program for empowering people who are, you know, disenfranchised people in tech and getting them into tech. It's primarily an educational thing. They do kind of focus on women in tech, but they're actually not gender focused as much as values focused. So they have really cool programs and are actively trying to make our technology communities better. And the other also in the vein of making our technology communities better, I want to plug npmjs.com slash jobs. Oh my god, I'm cheating. I'm so cheating. This is not <laughs> it's supposed to be supposed to be something else but no we are actually hiring and if you liked what you heard on this podcast you should come work with us we're trying to create a company that is not so inhumane
4: i've read this jobs page and i i gotta say it it reads really nice i really like the focus on people as opposed to like wicked awesome scale and so much money and i don't know it seems like it's focused on the right things
1: does it see ninja on it (laughs) it does not no,
3: no, we don't need anybody to be stealthy or commit murder or steal things or no smash dorm rooms. Yeah, no ninjas needed. you all doing it hotels, I mean. we do wrong. We do need responsible, like, software developer types. So if that's more your thing, you know, give us a call.
1: Somehow I wound up going to https npmjs.com slash jobs and it was warning me about the certificate.
3: Yeah, our .com site is not on SSL because there's nothing private.
1: Okay, uh, Laurie, what are your picks?
0: So, my picks are all things that I've been using this week and thought, oh man, that's great. I should tell somebody about it. Uh, one I just tweeted about was, uh, and I, in fact, I already mentioned it, was Fastly, our CDN. I've worked at a lot of places where we've sort of repeatedly skirted around the, oh, we need to geo distribute this thing someday. And, you know, it would be really great if, you know, people in China could get it as fast as people in US East get it. And you never get around to doing that because it's such a, you know, it's such a huge pain to implement and fastly do it and have never gone down on us and are super responsive when we have problems and they've just been super fun to work with. So that's great. It's load balancing and CDNing done. Absolutely right. The other one that I've only been using for like half a week now is Slack, which I think is still in private beta or maybe might be invite only or something, but it's basically when we started the company, we all started talking to each other over, you know, email and then, and then I am and then we were like, Oh, we have to go to IRC. Like, why is there nothing better than IRC? And we complained about the fact that there's nothing better than IRC. And people were like, there is, it's called Slack. And it really is. It's great. Got, you know, it's got a good desktop client and a mobile client and, and a web page. And, you know, it lets you keep in touch with all of your messages and see the unread stuff. And, oh, man, it, it's been such a pain point for such a long time. I'm just so happy to talk about it. And the last one is HappyJS, which I also mentioned, which was framework that I built the download counts in. You know, like everybody else who's been paying attention to Node, uh, I'm very familiar with Express. But having been a web developer for a very long time, I've looked at Express and gone, like, there's a lot of stuff that I would like this thing to be doing that it doesn't really do, and, you know, I can plug it in. But I wish it was just built in and happy has been built by some people who clearly have had similar thoughts and have built in a lot of the stuff that I think should be built in and left out a bunch of this stuff that I didn't think should be there. And in general, it's just been making me happy as a framework. So thought I'd uh, shout out to happy. that.
1: Exactly. So good. All right, Rod, what are your picks? Three picks. The first, because I'm
6: financially minded geek COO um, is a, team called Accretive Solutions that True put us in touch with. These guys are amazing. They are actually just like the Palo Alto rug store uh, in that they've been involved with everything. They set up the books and did everything for a company called The Facebook and then Instagram. What they do is they roll in <laughs> and they make sure that all of your Everything is electronic. The company doesn't have any physical paper records. They set everything up from day one so that it's all in a easily shareable folder, which means that when you need to do future financing or uh, anything else along those lines, all audits, etc., it's all taken care of. And because they've done it for dozens and dozens of these companies, they know exactly how to structure it from day one, so that you radically reduce your costs. All of the stuff is the best practices, and it means that you can then focus on your core business. So accretive solutions, they're all over the place, but really, really like the team that we've come across. The second pick is Oakland. We've won by deciding to be based in Oakland. It's 12 minutes for us to go from the 12th Street, Bard Street to downtown San Francisco. And yet we pay, I think about a third in rent. Some great Vietnamese sandwiches out here, um, it's a really, really nice environment to live in. The final pick is uh, something that Laurie came up with, which is the real definition of what NPM is, and that's nice people matter. And we're going to have a great big sign of it on our wall. I think that that's the coolest part of what we're doing so far.
1: Awesome. That's cool. Nice people matter incorporated. <laughs>
6: yeah, I'm not sure it has the same ring with the incorporated afterwards. <laughs> it sounds kind of like <laughs> some Soylent
4: Green type thing with that. It's made that's of nice. people. Yeah.
1: <laughs> all right well thanks for coming guys really appreciate you being so open and just talking about this stuff because i know people a lot of people are concerned about it and a lot of people are excited about it and so uh now hopefully we have a lot of the answers that they're looking for awesome thanks for having us yeah thank you talk to you next week hey.
6: don't panic they'll be
5: paid for most of